Hello, and welcome to The Essential Reads. My name is Isaac, and this is my fourth time doing this introduction because I cannot speak, but my goal is to bring you a bunch of classic audiobooks in an easy and accessible way. Nailed it. We're continuing with Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain, and as usual with this book, and books of a similar calibre, they were written in the past, and the past sucked, and they used a lot of words that should have never been used but were acceptable at the times, but are not acceptable nowadays. Um, I will be, of course, ducking the audio, decreasing the volume of um, such language so that this can be uploaded to its appropriate platforms. But if that sort of lingo or um, those sort of themes distress you, potentially listen to another book. In positive news, I found a new apartment, so I will be moving very shortly. If the quality of the audio... It should be good, I should hopefully be soundproofing the place, but if it does change between now and maybe the next couple of chapters, that is why I'm moving. Um, But hopefully I should be able to better isolate that space. So it should hopefully change, but in a good way. Let's dive in. I don't know why I'm doing this voice, I sound like a news presenter. In other news, we are reading the book. (laughs) Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. Chapter 27 I crept to their doors and listened. They were snoring, so I tiptoed along and got downstairs all right. There weren't a sound anywheres. I peeped through a crack in the dining room door and see the men that was watching the corpse all sound asleep on their chairs. And there was a candle in both rooms. I passed along, and the parlor door was open. But I see there weren't anybody in there but the remainders of Peter so I shoved on by. But the front door was locked, and the key wasn't there. Just then, I heard somebody come down the stairs back behind me. I run into the parlor and took a swift look around, and the only place I see to hide a bag was in the coffin. The lid was shoved along about a foot, showing the dead man's face in there, with a wet cloth over it and a shroud on. I tucked the money bag in under the lid, just down beyond where his hands was crossed, which made me creep. It was so cold and I ran back across the room and behind the door. The person coming in was Mary Jane. She went to the coffin, very soft, and kneeled down and looked in. Then she put up her handkerchief, and I see she began to cry, though I couldn't hear her, and her back was to me. I slid out, and as I passed the dining room door, I thought I'd make sure them watchers hadn't seen me. So I looked through the crack, and everything was all right. They hadn't stirred. I slipped up to bed, feeling rather blue on account of the thing playing out that way after I took so much trouble and run so much risk about it. Says I, if I could stay where it is, all right. Because when we get down the river, maybe a hundred mile or two, I could write back to Mary Jane, and she could dig him up again and get it. But that ain't the thing that's gonna happen. The thing that's gonna happen is the money will be found when they come to screw on the lid. Then the king will get it, and it'll be a long day before he gives anybody another chance to smooch it from him. Of course I wanted to slide down and get it out of there, but I daren't try it. Every minute it was getting earlier now, and pretty soon some of them watchers could begin to stir. I might get catched. Catched with $6,000 in my hand that nobody hadn't hired me to take care of. I don't wish to be mixed up in no such business as that, I says to myself. When I got downstairs in the morning, the parlor was shut up and the watchers was gone. There weren't anybody around but the family and the widow Bartley, and our tribe. I watched their faces to see if anything had been happening, but I couldn't tell. 
towards the middle of the day, the undertaker come with this man, and they set the coffin in the middle of the room on a couple of chairs, and then set all our chairs in a row and borrowed more from the neighbors till the hall and the parlor and the dining room was full. I see the coffin lid was the way it was before, but I just got to look under it with folks around. Then the people began to flock in, and the beats and the girls took seats in the front row in the head of the coffin. And for half an hour, the people filed around, slow, in single rank, and looked down at the dead man's face. And some dropped in a tear, and it was all very still and solemn. Only the girls and beats holding handkerchiefs to their eyes, and keeping their heads bent and sobbing a little. There weren't no other sound but the scraping of feet on the floor and blowing noses, because people always blows them more at funeral than they do in any other place. Except church. When the place was packed full, the undertaker, he slid around in his black gloves with his soft, soothering ways, putting on the last touches and getting people and things all ship-shaped and comfortable and making no more sound of the cat. He never spoke. He moved people around. He squeezed in late ones. He opened up passageways and done it all with nods and signs with his hands. Then he took his place over against the wall. He was the softest, gladness, stealthiest man I ever see. And there weren't no more smile to him than the rest of a ham. They'd borrowed a melodium, a stick one, and when everything was ready, a young woman sat down and worked it. And it was pretty squeaky and colicky, and everybody joined in and sung. And Peter was the only one that had a good thing, according to my notion. Then the Reverend Hobson opened up, slow and solemn, and began to talk. And straight off, the most outrageous row busted out of the cellar a body ever heard. It was only one dog, but he made the most powerful racker, and he kept it up right along. The parson, he had to stand there over the coffin and wait. You couldn't hear yourself think. It was right down awkward, and nobody didn't seem to know what to do. But pretty soon, they see that long-legged undertaker make a sign to the preacher, as much as to say, don't you worry, just depend on me. He stooped down and began to glide along the wall, just his shoulders showing above the people's heads. So he glided along, and the powwow and racket getting more and more outrageous all the time. And at last, when he'd gone round the two sides of the room, he disappeared down the cellar. Then, in about two seconds, we heard a whack. And the dog, he finished up with the most amazing howl or two. And then, everything was dead still, and the parson begun his solemn talk where he left off. In a minute or two, here comes this undertaker's back and shoulders gliding along the wall again. And so he glided and glided around three sides of the room and then rose up and shaded his mouth with his hand and stretched his neck out towards the preacher over people's heads and says, in a kind of coarse whisper, he had a rat. Then he dropped down and glided along the wall again to his place. You could tell it was great satisfaction to the people because naturally they wanted to know. A little thing like that don't cost nothing. And it's just the little things that makes a man to be looked up to and liked. There weren't no more popular man in town than what that undertaker was. Well, the funeral sermon was very good, but passing long and tiresome. And then the king, he shoved in and got off some of his usual rubbish. And at last, the job was through. And the undertaker began to sneak up on the coffin with his screwdriver. I was in a sweat then and watched him pretty keenly but he never meddled at all. Just slid the lid along as soft as mush and screwed it down tight and fast. So there I was. I didn't know whether the money was in there or not. 
So, says I, suppose somebody had hogged that bag on the sly. Now, how do I know whether to write Mary Jane or not? Suppose she dug him up and didn't find nothing. What'd she think of me? <sighs> Blame it, I says. I might get hunted up and jailed. I better lay low and keep dark. I'm not right at all. The thing's awful mixed now. Trying to better it, I've worsened it a hundred times. I wish to goodness I'd just let it alone. Dad fetched the whole business. They buried him, and we come back home, and I went to watching faces again. I couldn't help it. I couldn't rest easy. But nothing comes of it. The faces didn't tell me nothing. The king, he visited around in the evening and sweetened everybody up and made himself ever so friendly and he gave out the idea that his congregation over in England would be in a sweat about him, so he must hurry and settle up the estate right away and leave for home. He was very sorry he was so pushed and so was everybody. They wished he could stay longer but they said they could see it couldn't be done. And he said, of course, him and William would take the girls home with him. And that pleased everybody, too, because then the girls would be well fixed and among their own relations. And it pleased the girls, too. Tickled them so they clean forgot they ever had a trouble in the world and told them to sell out as quick as he wanted to. They would be ready. Them poor things was that glad and happy it made my heart ache to see him getting fooled and lied to so. But I didn't see no safe way for me to chip in and change the general tune. Well, blamed if the king didn't build the house and the and all the property for auction straight off. Sailed two days after the funeral. But anybody could buy private beforehand if they wanted to. So, the next day after the funeral, along about noontime, the girl's joy got the first jolt. A couple of liquor traders come along, and the king sold them the next reasonable. For three days draft, they called it. And away they went. The two sons up the river to Memphis, and their mother down the river to Orleans. I thought them poor girls and them niggas would break their hearts for grief. They cried around each other and took on so it most made me down sick to see it. The girls said they had never dreamed of seeing family separated or sold away from town. I can't ever get it out of my memory the sight of them poor, miserable girls and hanging around each other's necks and crying. And I reckon I couldn't have stood it all but would have had to burst out and tell on our gang if I hadn't known the sale weren't no account would be back home in a week or two. The thing made a big stir in the town, too, and a good many come out flat-footed and said it was scandalous to separate the mother and the children that way. It injured the fraud some, but the old fool, he bulled right along, spite of all the duke could say or do. And I tell you, the duke was powerful and easy. The next day was auction day. About broad day in the morning, the king and the duke come up to the garret and woke me up and I see by their look that there was trouble. The king says, Was you in my room not before last? No, your majesty, which is the way I always call them when nobody but our gang weren't around. Was you in there yesterday or last night? No, your majesty. On a bright now? No lies? Honest bright, your majesty. I'm telling you the truth. I hain't been near your room since Miss Mary Jane took you and the duke and showed it to you. The duke says, Have you seen anybody else go in there? No, your grace. Not as I remember, I believe. Stop and think. I studied a while and see my chance. And then I says, Well, uh, I see the n****s go in there several times. Both of them give a little jump and look like they hadn't ever expected it. And then, like they had. 
And then the Duke says, What, all of them? No, leastways, not all at once. That is, I don't think I ever see them all come out at once, but just one at a time. Oh, when was that? It was the day we had the funeral, in the morning. It weren't early because I overslept. I was just starting down the ladder and I see him. Well, go on. Go on. What did they do? How'd they act? They didn't do nothing. And they didn't act anyway, much as far as I see. And they tiptoed away. So I seen, easy enough, that they shoved in there to do up your majesty's room or something, supposing you was up, and found that you weren't up. And so they was hoping to slide out of the way of trouble without waking you up, if they hadn't already waked you up. Great guns, this is a go. They stood there, a-thinking and a-scratching their heads a minute. And then the Duke, he burst into a kind of little raspy chuckle and says, <laughs> It does beat all how neat the n- played their hand. They let on to be sorry they was going out of the region. I believe they was sorry. And so did you, and so did everybody. Don't ever tell me any more that a ain't got any histrionic talent. Why, the way they played the thing would have fooled anybody. In my opinion, there's a fortune in them. If I had capital and a theater, I wouldn't want a better layout than that. And here we've gone and sold them for a song. <sighs> yes, and ain't privileged to sing the song yet. Say, where is that song? The draft. In the bank for to be collected. Where would it be? Well, that's all right then, thank goodness. Says I, kind of timid-like, is something gone wrong? The king whirls on me and rips out, None of your business! You keep your head shut and mind your own affairs if you're going here. Long as you're in this town, don't you forget that, yeah? Then he says to the duke, We got to just swallow it and say nothing. Mum's the word for us. As they were starting down the ladder, the duke chuckles again and says, Quick sales and small profits. It's a good business. Yes. The king snarls around on him and says, I was trying to do the best and sell them out so quick. If the profits has turned out to be none, lacking considerable, and none to carry, is it my fault any more than it's yours? Well, they'd be in this house yet. And we wouldn't if I could have got my advice listened to. The king sassed back, as much as it was safe for him, and then swapped around and led into me again. He gave me down the bank for not coming and telling him I see n****s come out of his room acting that way. Said any fool would have knowed something was up. And then waltzed in and cussed himself a while, and said it all come of him not lying late and taking his natural rest that morning, and he'd be blamed if he ever do it again. So they went off, a jawing, and I felt dreadful glad I'd worked it all off onto the and yet hadn't done the news no harm by it. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please like, comment, share, all that jazz, and if you really enjoyed, do subscribe, because there is more to come. And if you're listening on podcast, please leave a review. It is the easiest way to get this in front of as many people as possible, and reading your reviews really makes my day. Well, it seems at the moment that Huck is slightly out of harm's way, but I still get a dodgy feeling from the duke and uh, the king um i'm f- yeah it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out i want to know what's going on with jim 
Um, but we'll find out in a couple of days, so please join me for that. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and until next time, bye-bye.